One of the things that is most important to understand when you come to studying is that, as I said before, every church, every country has a, a religious heritage. And a lot of uh, what you see in society, in the makeup of a society, is governed by the re religious heritage they've had or not had. And the values in a society are made, made up from the religious heritage. We're fortunate in this nation uh, to have been part of the Reformation and we're fortunate to have had men of God throughout the ages and we're studying, and Zwingler was the last person, was it not? Yeah, and the thing is, Erasmus was also around then. And then we come to Calvin. And when one talks of Calvin, immediately people think of predestination. And they think of very austere doctrines of... Um, of the sovereignty of God. And most of what is called Calvinism, Calvin did not actually introduce. Uh, he was not as strict on Calvinism as people think, and therefore a lot of the teachings of Calvin supposedly aren't in any of his works, uh, which comprise 54 volumes. I do not recommend that you read them all, unless you want indigestion. Um, they are... They're written by a scholarly man who was a lawyer. And lawyers are noted for being finicky and majoring on minors, uh, such as the O.J. Simpson trial. You have people majoring on minors. Thought it was amazing as, as O.J. Simpson walked out of the courthouse, he asked if he could have his gloves back, but there we are. Skip it, if you don't understand that one. <laughs> um, but <laughs> how many people understand that? When he walked, you know, he was found, not, okay, doesn't matter. Uh, Lots of people major on minors, and Calvin was such a man. And his big problem was really that the Reformation had started. Luther, um, well, it really started, as I said, the pre-Reformation started, you remember with who? How many remember? Wycliffe and Haas. Who else? Who else? Yeah, and then who? Then who was it? Who did you study last week, Tuesday? What? Okay. Swindler, who said that? Okay, Calvin. Came and he was in French speaking Switzerland. And one thing you have to understand, all these people, Europe was a conglomeration of people that were driven out of homes, 
driven out of country, religious persecution was rampant, and people were beginning to rise up against the tyranny of the Roman Catholic Church. And tyrannical it was. Sometimes they had two popes, sometimes they had one pope, sometimes they were at war, the popes fighting each other, trying to claim who was right and who was wrong. And Calvin came along at a time, and the basic thing about Calvin was that he thought he could set up the kingdom of God on earth. And I suppose it's one of the biggest mistakes he made, which was at Geneva, thinking that he could set it up. And it might interest you to know that in olden day times, one of the most valuable things was tulips. Actually, it was more valuable than gold. A bulb, a tulip bulb. And that is why the Dutch uh, make so much of tulips. Now, you think tulips come from Amsterdam, but tulip has a very significant part to play in the Reformation, and I will explain it in a second. Um, it is amazing how the whole fixation of man always comes down to how can I have the perfect church and how can I establish the kingdom of God on earth? Now, what the popes wanted uh, was to establish authority. What Luther wanted was to break the shackles. What Calvin wanted was to bring the doctrine of Christ and then set up a secular society based on the word of God by force. And so you got a swing from Protestantism which really released people to what's called the Reformed Church that try to reform people by compulsion. So you had the amazing sight of Protestants fleeing to a town where 83 people were put to death because they didn't actually have the right doctrine. And that was Calvin. Uh, you had a time when he went on a boat and the cabin boy wouldn't actually believe and so he had him strung to the mast and whipped unconscious and then brought round and whipped again until he became a believer. Uh, now, I don't think that is the way to make believers. And so they set up the whole of their society, or Calvin tried to set up the society, and he based it on the idea that you had four stratas of people. You had the uh, pastors who were overall. And the pastors were the ones who decided the doctrines that were to be acceptable and not acceptable. And they had tremendous power. And then you had people who went round. The deacons uh, did what deacons should do. They just served tables and looked after the poor and the old. And then you had the elders who went round and poked their noses in everywhere to check up whether people were believing and teaching the right things. And if they weren't, they dragged them before the pastors who could have them either put to death or imprisoned. 
And if you didn't go to uh, communion, as it was called, you were dragged off to prison because it was an imprisonable offense not to go to communion. Or if you didn't pay your tithe, prison waited for you. Or if you failed to live up to what they called the doctrinal way, uh, there was prison or they'd flog you or put you in the local stocks, in the marketplace. It was a very free society. Um, in fact, if you men in those days wore certain types of trousers uh, and Calvin didn't like them and that was an imprisonable offense if you wore them the type of trousers he didn't like you had to wear the type he did like and I mean it was that legalistic that it became a terrible dominated thing now you have in modern day you have churches where the same thing goes on and it's just hidden in a different form and I want to talk about that, but let's, let's look at it. If you wonder what I meant, um, tulip. If you write it down, tulip. You'll find it in your notes. If you've read your notes already, you'll know what I'm talking about. Tulip. Uh, the word stood, the T stood for the total depravity of man. Calvin believed that man was totally depraved. Look at your neighbor and say, he's definitely talking about you. You know, everyone's depraved, aren't they? He believed that when you're born, you're totally depraved. There are people more depraved than others, but there we are. The you is um, salvation as a matter of unconditional election. In other words, unconditional election. God chooses people out of the world and they're chosen unconditionally. They're the elect of God and that's it. And he believed that Jesus Christ didn't die for everyone's salvation. He died for the select few who will unconditionally be elected. However, if you lived in Geneva, you better be one of the unconditionally elected or you're going to either be burnt at the stake or thrown into prison. So there was a total contradiction in his beliefs and practice. The L stands for the limited atonement. He said Jesus didn't die for everyone. He only died for those who were unconditionally elected. So the unconditionally elected were the only ones who Jesus died for. And when you start believing that, you deny the scripture that says he bore the sin of the whole world. He took a part of scripture and he made a mess of it because he was a lawyer. Lawyers invariably magnify things to suit their own argument. That's why you always need a good defense lawyer who will magnify the positive aspects for your defense 
and the prosecution needs a good prosecuting lawyer who will magnify and when you sit in court who knows what the truth is the I stands for irresistible grace now his theory was that if you were unconditionally elected according to the limited atonement there was irresistible grace which would cause you to be saved whether you wanted to be saved or not it was irresistible because if Christ only died for certain people and it was limited to them and it was unconditional then it has to be that there is an irresistible grace that works on you otherwise the atonement of Christ would be of no effect on the people who should have been unconditionally elected and because it was limited they had to get saved and therefore in order to believe such a stupid doctrine you had to have the irresistible grace working on you to make sure if you were one of the unconditionally elected you got saved you follow that don't you no do you follow what I'm saying? No, you're looking at me. Do you follow it? I mean, his logic was a lawyer's logic. The P stands for perseverance and preservation of the saints. And you... Because you were unconditionally elected and because the atonement was limited and there was irresistible grace working upon you you obviously had to persevere to the end otherwise the sacrifice of Jesus Christ would fail so he worked out a doctrine and the whole doctrine was incorporated in one word which they called tulip All right? From Geneva, not Amsterdam. And the whole basis of salvation was based upon the fact hey, if you come into a church, unless you're one of the elect, you can't get saved. I've been in churches where people have questioned me. They said, just a minute, you can't ask people to respond to the gospel because if they're not elect, they can't get saved. And people argue with me. Don't you know that only those who are the elect can be saved? And so a Calvinist of today's stature will look at people and he'll say, well, what you do is you can't in any way influence anyone to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, what you do is you preach and you can't ask someone to respond because the only true response will be from the unconditionally elected brethren who are going to get saved anyway because grace is irresistible. And therefore, they're going to have to surrender and they will persevere to the end because it's the pea of tulip. And so his whole doctrine was based 
on the fact that man has nothing to do with his own salvation. Response doesn't come into it. He somehow missed the fact that Jesus Christ said, whomsoever will may come. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But whosoever, you know, it's a whosoever, isn't it? And so he, he mixed up one thing in his mind, being a lawyer, they're never clear thinking people, lawyers. The, the thing that he mixed up and missed was the fact that Jesus Christ died for all, bore the sins of all, rose again, triumphed over the devil and he gives a welcome to all and the only way you're ever elect in God's eyes that means you're chosen to be part of the innumerable company of the saved ones in heaven you're part of the life of God the way you become elect is whom he did foreknow God foreknows before you're born what decision you'll make after you are born. Because God has all foreknowledge, doesn't he? God knows everything, doesn't he? Before you pray, he sends the answer, doesn't he? Well, he must know what you're going to pray, because how could he send the answer before you prayed if he didn't know you were going to pray it? Well, is that reasonable? Before you call, I will answer, he says. Well, how can he know what I was going to call and send the answer before I've called if he didn't know what I was going to call before he sent the answer? So, foreknowledge led to predestination. I was in Christ before the foundation of the world. But there came a day in my life when I got saved. There came a day in your life when you believed, didn't there? Now, God knew from all eternity, that there'd come a day when you would hear and respond to the word of God. In that, you're elect. But do understand, the only election you ever had is through the foreknowledge of God. God knew how you would respond to the truth of the gospel when the gospel came to you in the time it came to you. And Calvin didn't understand that. He came out of the dark ages and he came out with a legalistic mind and he wanted to set things and the reason he got into error was because he wanted a society of people living in Geneva who were all Christians, who were all doing God's bidding, who were all alive in God and he thought that it could be enforced and you could deselect people by either exiling them, sending them away, or by killing them, which did send them away, or by imprisoning them, which kept them incarcerated so they couldn't pervert others. He made it illegal to have dances. Anyone who was caught dancing ended up in prison. So the elder's job was to sneak round at night and peer in the houses of people. So they were the first peeping toms looking for people dancing. If you were caught dancing, prison, you went because it was not a Christian thing to do. And the whole of life began to be governed by rules and legalism. 
And so Geneva was a miserable place. But everyone conformed. And the mind police were the elders. They went and examined people, and if they felt they weren't believing what they should believe, they were hauled up before the presbytery. And so the whole of the Reformed church system was based on mind control. You are taught what you should believe. Now, Calvin did have some good points. One thing he believed in was educating children. He set up schools and universities. Unfortunately, all his teaching was geared to propagating his beliefs. That is why I always emphasize we have a school, but we do not have a Christian school. We have a school staffed by Christians to educate children, not to indoctrinate them. I'm totally against indoctrinating children. Children need to be born again from above by the Spirit of God. They do not need indoctrination. You train them up in the way that they should go. True enough. In their behavior, in their manners, in their life, you teach them how to live with each other. But you cannot Christianize a person by education. They have to be born of God's Spirit. You must be born again. Amen? It's very different. When God meets you and the Word of God comes alive, that is an experience that changes your life inside. There is no way you can educate people into Christianity. Calvin didn't understand that. He really felt that education, university, and everything was geared to putting over the church's point of view. That is where it's very dangerous. Now, what has happened in the modern day is that the Reformed Church, and they're called the Reformed Church, uh, you've got the Dutch Reformed Church, you've got the um, South African Reformed Church, you've got the Presbyterian Church, and they're all based on similar teaching, where the pastors and elders become the controlling influence for doctrine, and they decide, and it's very legalistic and intrusive in people's lives. And you've got a similar thing happen with the kind of what's called in this modern day the discipleship movement. Bought the reform teaching and try to impose by elders and people over you, and shepherds, they try to impose the same thing. You cannot. A church of Jesus Christ is to set people free, to take the yoke off them, not to bind them. Get a person to live right by imposition of law. Law is the schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, but in the end, every individual must make their own choices. We're here to preach the word of God. We're here to exalt, to rebuke, not to control. In the end, you make your choices and you either bring yourself into life or destroy yourself. But only you are responsible for you. The pastor is not responsible. The pastor is only responsible to preach the word of God. That's it. If I find someone's uh, doing something wrong, 
I'll rebuke him, I'll say, look, the word of God says this. But in the end, hey, it's your choice of how you live, isn't it? Well, isn't it? Not so in Geneva. Have them up, throw them in prison. Have them flogged. Um, have them flogged. Have them, have them dealt with. Terrible. What an awful thing. And, and Calvin couldn't understand why you couldn't impose God's standards on people. The reason is an unregenerate man, a man who's not born again, a man who has no experience of God, cannot fulfill the law of God. The Bible says in Romans that when the law came, sin revived and I died. Legalism destroys people. It never helps them. When you start trying to legislate for people, you find destruction. You have to give people the freedom to make mistakes. You have to give people the freedom of life. If you don't give them the freedom of life, what you have is a terribly um, smothering kind of religion that makes demands without... Well, well, it just makes demands. And the people soon will either become oppressed by it, depressed by it, or will kick against it. Or will become kind of zombie types. I was saying, oh, you know... There's no joy in it, is there? Uh, if you have to fall in love by compulsion, it is not love. Supposing, you know, a man is told, you must marry this woman, and you're dumped with this woman. And this happens, you know. The Asians do it a lot in India. So, you know, they marry them off at 10 and 12. Well, okay, there you are. And this poor girl married off to someone because he's got money and can pay the family. And all of a sudden, you're done with it. Where's love? The poor woman, she doesn't have a choice. Now, you say, well, actually, the marriages of Asian families work quite well. Because of their culture, it actually works a lot better than the Western culture, very often, for some strange reason. I can't think why. Because, to me, chemistry is chemistry. You know, there's some... I don't know why you fall in love, but you do. And when you do, your heart goes boom bidi boom bidi boom bidi boom uh, And that's it. Uh, and you can't explain love, can you? Well, can you? So you can't discipline love. In the same way, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of love. Unless a heart is filled with the love of God, you can't love God. You'll always see God as austere and hard. And the whole image of God was the same as the Catholics brought out in the Reformed Church. Most Reformed Church people see God as a very legalistic, judgmental God, who if you step out of line, boom, you're finished. That is not the gospel. And it is not the true God of heaven, but that's the way they see him.
And let's face it, if you upset Calvin or you argued with him, prison was your home until you chose to agree with him. And if you didn't choose to agree with him quickly enough, they made you warm and comfortable by roasting you over a fire. And if you didn't agree, they just burnt you at the stake. And after that, you really couldn't voice your disagreement. You were gone. And that is the way the whole of Geneva lived. And instead of ushering in a tremendous freedom, it ushered in a bondage. But it was a step away from Catholicism. What they did teach was that the Catholics were wrong, the priests were wrong. What they did, though, was just as tyrannical because tyranny was part of their nature and culture. They didn't see anything wrong with tyranny because that was how all society was. It was run by tyrants. It was run by kings who regarded life as uh, something that wasn't that valuable. Terrible. Uh, you have to understand that burning people at the stake and all the public coming round to look and to laugh was just the way their society was. In the same way, today you've got some of these Muslim nations that go in for public executions, beheading people in public like animals. Basically, Mohammed taught that if you can't convert people to your belief that Mohammed's all important, you kill them because they're infidels. And killing infidels is part of the Koran. So how you can think that you can appeal to the religious sense of someone telling them that you shouldn't persecute people and murder people like they are in Iran, uh, in Sudan rather, uh, it's just absurd. Muslims believe in taking over and destroying infidels to bring in their Muslim faith. It's part of their teaching, it's part of their doctrine. And that isn't just for the Muslims who are violent, that is for all Muslims. It's not for the extremist sects, that is part of the teaching of the Koran. And Muhammad was a very violent, vicious tyrant. That is fact, history tells you so. And he tried to conquer the world and bring his heinous doctrines into the world by force. Unfortunately, Calvin did pretty much the same thing. And so here we had a man who basically wanted to serve God, but because of the time he lived and because of lack of knowledge and because of prejudice brought about by the Dark Ages, he, he produced a doctrine that was quite obnoxious. He did, though reveal that purgatory was a myth. The idea that you will, when you die, you will be sent to a place for purification and you could stay there a million years or two million years and that if you paid someone, if you were rich enough to pray, pay someone, they could shorten your time in purgatory and all your relatives' time in purgatory if they prayed for you continuously. And that's how the monasteries were built and funded they believed by paying the monks to pray continuously for them, they shortened their time in purgatory before they got into heaven. 
And so that's why you've got all the glorious monasteries built out of terror, making ignorant people... Well, Calvin realized that was wrong, but then he just burnt people at the stake if they believed. (laughs) So one tyranny led to another tyranny. The gospel of Jesus Christ comes to release us from tyranny. History, you have to understand, if we look at it today, you say, well, how absurd, how could a man get caught up in that? The reason he got caught up in it is that was the whole ambient of every society. It was warlike, it was violent, and it was enforcing things. The rulers enforced, the kings enforced, uh, the people that got power and force in fact the whole thing was just war Europe so he setting himself up in Geneva and it, if you've ever been to Geneva you'll find there's thick walls and battlements and the city gates and, and basically it, it was a, just a warlike faction of Christians who thought they would convert the world but inside their city they were all going to be on fire Christians. If they weren't on fire in their heart, they certainly would be on fire some other way. They'd burn them. And that's how Geneva was. And here stood Calvin in the midst of a reformation, fighting Rome, quite rightly, exposing their heresies, quite obviously, but at the same time, committing terrible atrocities in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's how history has always been. That's why we've had the Crusades, where we thought we'd free the world of the Muslim tyranny. And so off they went to chop every Muslim to death. That's why we had Hitler rising up, trying to rid the world of Jews, because they have all the money, my life. And if you can kill them all off, you can have their money, can't you? Um, And that's why we have the tremendous persecutions throughout history of one race against another race, one tribe against another tribe. And, And the whole thing today in Bosnia, uh, the Muslims are murdering the Jews. The Holocaust never stopped. If you go to um, Bosnia today, you will find in ghettos Jewish families that are being murdered, butchered, raped. All their young boys are being castrated if they're Jewish. I mean, there's terrible atrocities, and the Western world says not a word about it. But it's going on today, behind the scenes. And the mass graves, most of them are Jews. No one says anything. And you realize that the Western world has gone silent. I'm amazed the Israelis haven't spoken out. They have smuggled people out to Israel. And they're seeking to get helicopters lifting people out. But the Muslims are just butchering the Jews. And that's exactly what happened during the war. Yugoslavia was one of those where they were shipped off to Germany, to concentration camps, and shipped off to to concentration camps all over. 
And the same thing is going on today. If you go over to Rwanda, you will find the butchering is going on of Christians. If you go to Sudan, you'll find that they're butchering Christians. And if they find a pregnant woman, they slit her stomach, and that's it. That's going on in Sudan today. The Muslims doing it to the Christians. And, and it's amazing how our politicians are very selective in what they denounce. If you go to China, many, many true Christians are in prison. It's an offense to be a Christian, still, by that government. And you wonder, why is it that the Western world says nothing? You won't see it on the news. Today, if you go down to South Africa, the murder rate is extravagant. I think it's six times now the number of people murdered every day as were murdered before Mandela got to power. Lawlessness is absolutely rampant everywhere. But the national media say nothing. Why? If anyone dare breathe on it, prison. And so we only have, as a people, selected information that the governments choose to let us know about. Christians need to be beyond just selective information. We need to know what's going on. You need to know. And the trouble was in Calvin's day, he felt that he could sift out information, sift out things, and by that, he could get everyone persuaded to his point of view. That is exactly what happens with politicians, with governments. You never hear the truth on any subject. And I think it all came down from the dark ages when people learned that if you control people's minds and you can control their mind enough, then you can control a whole society. But the truth is you can't. And the wonderful thing about Christians is when Jesus Christ comes, he comes to make us thinking people, people that are aware, and people whose values change to be God's values, and we cease to believe the things that our society tells us anymore. Amen? Luther realized that. Wycliffe realized that. Unfortunately, Calvin didn't. And so you have to look. He brought reforms in. He brought the Reformation in. But unfortunately, his Reformation was by compulsion. And it was very limited. So when someone says to you, Ah, I'm a Calvinist. You look at them and you realize, Hey, just a minute. Tulip. You're one of these people that believes there's an irresistible grace that is going to draw you into life and you will persevere to the end and the reason you'll persevere to the end is because you were one of the elect and your election was not based on anything other than undeserved choice of God and then you begin to think 
This doctrine comes from hell. I cannot believe that the God of heaven would send his son to die for the sin of the world and he would say there's only a certain number of people that can be healed, can be delivered. There's only a certain sum of people that can believe. Do you? But I do believe that he knew when you heard the gospel what your response would be. I do believe that he had foreknowledge, don't you? Whom he did foreknow, them he did predestinate. Foreknowledge always proceeds, precedes, not proceeds, precedes predestination. Uh, Without that, God would be a tyrant. Because what it would mean was no matter what you believed, you'd had it. I can't believe God's like that. I believe the gospel is wonderful news, good news for every man, don't you? And Calvin's doctrine, uh, many of the Reformed people, though, strangely enough, went all around the world as missionaries. So you can't say they did away with missionary zeal, but what they believed was there's only a certain number that are going to respond anyway, rather like the Jehovah Witnesses. You know, are you one of the 144,000? If you work hard enough, you might be. What a doctrine from hell. The gospel is, hey, Jesus loves you. He'll heal you, he'll deliver you. Um, You'll become part of the body of Christ by being born again. But it's open to all. Jesus said, whomsoever will may come. And so the gospel is to be preached to every creature. And we have a choice as to the response we make. Calvin didn't believe that. He died believing his errors. But he did set that city free, Geneva, and many cities became free. Zwindler also went out, um, and he basically set up opposing cities, opposing Calvin. And, And so between them, cities all around the place were set up where Catholicism was broken, where the priests, the images, where the tyranny of the priesthood and the Pope was broken, that's what it brought about in the Reformation. The thing that it didn't bring about was freedom. And unfortunately, there were the elders there always snooping. I always consider, you know, house groups the deadliest thing that can ever happen in any church. I do not believe in house groups. I do not believe that it's right to have elders who snoop on other people or try and control other people or call it one-to-one discipling, whatever you want to call it, that is not (coughs) Christianity. Christianity is the word of God, and in the end, you've got your own individual conscience, haven't you? Choice. Cults are based on control. Uh, But I want to tell you, you can't control any man or any woman. Because basically, you're all uncontrollable. A whole bunch of you. And to think, for Calvin to think that he can control exactly what people think by his doctrines and his thought police is crazy. The communists have tried it, and look what's happened. Russia's fallen apart. China's fallen apart. 
You cannot make people believe. You cannot. It is false. And we have to understand. Are you all right there? Tommy, okay, are you all right? Yeah? Are you feeling faint? Are you feeling faint? Yeah, there's a doctor there. Come on. We've got, a, we've got a good doctor. What's wrong with you? What, what is, do you understand English? What, what's wrong with you? Okay, she's not very well. There, there's a doctor there. Don't run away. Okay. Um, not meant to die before the end of the sermon. Because then you have to raise the dead. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I prepared this, so you can have to listen to the end. <laughs> Don't you all start feeling sick and walking out? I mean, what am I going to talk? Um, <laughs> Got to have a sense of humor. <clears throat> You have to understand God's purposes in life are to bring freedom. Jesus Christ, the gospel, sets us free. It never binds us. When you find a church is wanting to bind you or control you, one of the big things, you know, well, if you go out into darkness, look here. If a church thinks it's the only place with light, it's stupid. The idea that if someone walks out, they go into darkness, that's absolute rubbish. There are many churches, there are many facets, there are many people preaching the gospel, there's different emphases. Uh, there are some things that are real, there's some things that are false. But in the end, every individual has to make their own choice. Church should always be a place of freedom. My belief is that the tyranny comes when man tries to tell you you should be controlled, discipled, is the word. I do not believe. Jesus told me to make disciples of Jesus Christ. I'm to point people to Christ. Not to me, not to a doctrine, but to him. And in the end, the choice is when I preach the word of God, are you going to do what God says or not? That's your choice. You are free. Okay? There are principles in God. God says this, God says that. It's your choice. Are you going to obey or are you going to do what you want? Choice. A church can be built only by grace that works by love. Over the years, I've seen the idea, and people have come to me and said, why don't you do something about that? Why don't you do something about this? Why don't you do... And I have found... The answer is this. Jesus Christ said he would build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen? The best way for God to build his church is to get your dirty little mitts off it and allow God to sort the situations out himself because God is very effective at doing it. When you start trying to 
say, well, you should do this, you should do that, this should happen, that should happen, then you find you mess things up. People have come to me and say, why don't you go and deal with this person? Why don't you sort that out? You know this is going on. I might know it's going on, but there'll come a time when it'll get dealt with. Up till then, leave it alone. I've found God is very good at sorting things out. Man meddling gets problems. Amen. You end up like Zurich or Geneva. You end up with, with the attitude of, of it's got to be this. And then you end up like the holiness churches or the Presbyterian church in Scotland. Someone failed in the doctrine. You throw them out. You end up with a tyranny instead of love. Faith that works by love is the only church that's true. And in the end, people have got to make their own choices. Hey, that's, that's what I believe. So you might feel I don't deal with things. Well, it's true. I prefer God to deal with them. Because when God deals with them, they get dealt with. You might think, well, why don't I? Now, if it comes to someone who needs to be rebuked before all, because the scripture says so, I'll do it. That's it. But tyranny is wrong. In the end, people have got to make their choices still. That's why I told people, you're free to come, free to go. Door opens both ways. If you want to be a member, keep coming. If you don't want to be a member, don't come anymore. Simple as that. It's freedom. Once you go beyond that, I believe it's a cult as anything else and it's wrong once you start telling people well this is it you know live here you've got to have this job you've got to do that you must do this and you interfere in people's lives it's wrong I've never ever if I were to look around I wouldn't know where most of you lived if you asked me to go to your house I would have to ask you for a map so I could find it the pastor's job is not to go around and find out or elders to go around and find out what you're doing in your home it's your business if you need help get hold of me she's my secretary she'll find a time when you can come and see me reason for that is save chaos because I'll usually book an appointment when I'm in Africa or Belgium or somewhere else and you'll find I'm not there um, it's just to get things ordered. That's all. Am I approachable? I'm the most approachable person you could ever wish to meet. Am I austere? No. I like to laugh a lot, joke a lot. Uh, and you, People get the wrong impression. They really do. The only reason anyone has fear is if they want to walk in darkness. And they don't want to be come to the light because their deeds are evil. It's the only reason anyone has fear. Something's wrong. But if people walk in the light as he is in the light, you have fellowship. Amen? And, you know, if you need help, hey, we're here to help you. 
But the church isn't here to impose upon you. It's here to open up and say there's a God who loves you. He can heal you. He can deliver you. If you need help, there's someone to help you. But for goodness sake, it's up to you to avail yourself of the resources. You have a GP. How many people have a GP? Right. If you're sick, you know you can pick up the phone and he won't be there. You know that? You can ask him to come and visit you and he'll say, make your way to the surgery even in the coffin. Um, you know, but you might get him to come and visit your house. If he's a good GP, he'll care. If he's not, he's like the standard ones. You'll find there's a locum that's doing his visiting anyway and the locum will turn up and know nothing about you and it can be very difficult. But it's available, isn't it? When you're sick, you know you can call. You can, there's a hospital, National Health Service, where they can take you to a hospital. It might be they have to fly you by helicopter to Birmingham because there's no beds here. But, I mean, you will get a hospital bed somewhere, even if it's out of Mongolia, it will be provided. Um, so have good insurance, and you can go to a private hospital. And um, it's available, but you have to send for it. You have to call for it, don't you? That's the way we run our, 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 our national sickness service. But when you look at the church of Jesus Christ, that's the same. If spiritually there's something wrong, physically there's something wrong, hey, you have to come and say, I need help. Now, in Geneva, you didn't have to say that. They'd be at your door, ready to lock you up or burn you. That is not Christianity. That is tyranny. Christianity says, it's your choice. Whomsoever will may come. Freedom. Hmm? And whosoever goes, goes. Amen? Don't ever believe in, you know, well, it's a caring church because they interfere. That's not caring, it's controlling. Caring church gives you an open invitation. Hey, if you need help, we're always here. If you don't want help, stay away. Easy as that. I, I actually have a GP who I never go to see. You know, it's, it's just one of those things. Um, my first GP died in no business to without informing me. Just died. And he wasn't that old either. He had no business to die. Um, but he did. Just died. So I got another GP. Um, he's visited my house once, seen me. I've never been to his surgery. I, I actually don't think I'd know where it is if I had to go. But what do you want him for anyway? But if you don't know where you belong in church, you don't know where help is, you're in trouble. But do understand, we're not Calvinists. Amen? Peter and I have always taken the view, like Hernhut 
it can be a fellowship, it can be friendship. The Moravians had the right picture, it was freedom. Anyone was free to come, free to be part of it, but if you don't want to be part of it, you're free to go. We'll help you as much as we can, but hey, we'll only help you as far as you need help. What you want, that will do. What you don't want, forget it. Amen? That's Calvin. In a word, the notes are available. Wasn't that easy? He died, Calvin, in Geneva. They buried him after he died. They didn't burn him. They buried him. And for many years, it was a terrible place. If you actually go to Geneva, there's a lake there called Lake Geneva, incidentally. I'm full of useful information. But if you go there, and I've been there to Geneva, still today it's tyrannical. I, I, it, somehow when I went there, and I went and I looked over the lake, it's freezing cold, the lake. It's polluted the lake, but the walls are just, it's, it's just an awful place. It's a dead place. And religions never, Christianity's never taken root there because you can't compel people to love God. Love is a response of heart, not a compulsion. Born again of God's spirit, you fall in love with him. Amen. Every church has got to be that way. You can't compel people to do things. In the end, if they don't respond from the love of their heart, it's going to be, they'll resent it, they'll hate it. They'll get bitter towards it. And in the end, that'll destroy them. Faith that worketh by love is the true gospel. And so Calvin died. And when he was buried, it was a blessed relief for those that were in prison because they got let out. And the ones that were condemned to burn didn't burn. And a cabin boy was let go <laughs> I find Calvin I've read his writings and I'll be quite honest with you most of it is is taken from a lawyer's standpoint he takes the scriptures to prove what he believes he does not take the scriptures to find the truth Luther took the scriptures to find the truth justification by faith Calvin didn't understand that why should you be justified by faith when there's irresistible grace and you're one of the elect anyway? So his whole doctrine was false, unfortunately, except for his attack on Rome. And so he died. And so, as he's dead, there is no more to say. Let's all stand. I've got some prayer requests here. Uh, if you're here and you request prayer, uh, this is not a place of compulsion. Whomsoever will may come, you came to the meeting, you filled in a prayer request. 
uh, it's God's hand you need touching you. On Sunday morning, I'll pray for individuals individually. Tonight, I won't. I'm going to lift prayer requests up to the Lord. God's hand's here. He'll touch you. He loves you. Saw some lovely miracles last night. There was a woman crippled with arthritis. We do a good line in arthritis, actually. And there she was, totally crippled, and God healed her. And she was a Catholic. I said, I said to her, what, you know, what church you go to? She said, I'm a Catholic. I said, well, Mary didn't help you, did she? And she said, no. I said, well, Jesus will. <laughs> and God healed her. She cried and responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Miracles bring response. God's a miracle-working God. Amen? God's hand will touch you tonight, and from this night on, it'll be different. God came to make a difference in your life. Jesus loves you. And it's totally undeserved favor, but you're not one of the elect, chosen sovereignly by God or rejected by God according to whether he chose you or not. It's just on a matter of your will. If you want to come and respond to God, you can. He loves you. Amen? Let's lift these to heaven. Father, I thank you that you always hear our prayers. And Lord, we lift these dear ones to thee. I curse every affliction, every bondage, every yoke. I rebuke the devourer and destroyer. Lord Jesus, in your love, your mercy, and your grace, reach into each life. Quicken them, touch them with your hand. This night, break every chain in Jesus' name. From this day, Lord, let everything be different. Lord, quicken, make alive, heal, and deliver, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. What you couldn't do, do and live normal.